1: Hello everybody, I'm James Phelps and this is my brother Oliver and welcome to the Normal Not Normal podcast. That's correct and in this series we're talking to some of our favourite people to find out what normal means to them and we're asking them the question, does normal even exist? And today's guest is an award-winning DJ and producer who didn't exactly have a normal childhood but we'll get to that a bit later. That's right. Tiger has been making music since the 90s. He's remixed huge tracks for The XS, LCD Sound System, Scissor Sisters, Moby and Justice. And more recently, he hosted his own podcast, The First Last Party on Earth, which asks major DJs like Mark Ronson, Diplo, Annie Mack and Pete Tong to choose their favorite tracks. Now we haven't had many musicians on this podcast well, apart from Ed Sheeran and that Tenor so we're looking forward to asking him about his creative process and how it feels to put the perfect track together and make a crowd go absolutely wild. I've always wanted to do that. Very much so. Um, little did you know actually. Oliver and I are actually both big dance music fans um, so we're really looking forward to speaking to Tigra and seeing how this kind of music is made as well. So... With all that being said, here is Tiga.
0: Tiger, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you, how are you getting on? I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I'm happy to have a conversation.
1: It's different. Def- I'm, I'm getting, uh, to be honest, I'm getting background envy at the moment. I noticed that yourself and James have got a lot of pictures in the background and I've just got like a blank wall. So yeah, I might have
0: to try and work something out. Yeah, he's got, yeah. He, had, he, had, he has a guitar and a telescope which is like central casting it's like if you yeah they like quick quick make it look interesting (laughs) telescope and guitar
1: (laughs) and a bit of lego just proving a real game oh you've lego too (laughs) but uh ticket thank you so much for joining us today um now we know that you've been DJing since you were really young but you're also a producer you do great podcast can you give us a sense of what your average week or your normal week
0: would look like Well, pre-COVID, I mean, I was, yeah, I was DJing since I'm about 17 years old. And so I I spent probably two or three nights of every week at parties. Um, When I was starting out, that was in Montreal. And then as I got older, once I hit my, I guess, mid-20s, it was international. So my average week was spent on airplanes, airports, parties. And then, which all seems very, very exciting and romantic right now (laughs) from from where I'm sitting. I can't really believe it happened, but... um, Yeah. So that was every week. And then midweek would be uh, either studio work. So making, making records, producing records, running a record label and all the kind of business and admin stuff that comes with that. Now in the, in the modern era, I guess, I guess it's mostly the same without the, without the traveling and the parties. So Mm -hmm. it's the same without the fun. (laughs) Just just, 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 Just take the fun out of it. No, I mean, I, I've, I've had a lot of time to do a lot of other things that were always on my list. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of reading and, and going through records and working on music and stuff like that.
1: When you're playing to that crowd, how yeah. how do you know? I've always wondered this with, with DJs. How do you know when a track is going to work, like before you even play it for the first time, for example? Like Do you demo it mm. to friends or do you just know that certain, if you put a certain track in your
0: set, you know that will work? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, if the the one thing you have after a lifetime of doing what I have, that old 10,000 hours thing, right? Like what mm-hmm. do you actually yeah. have that no one else has, I suppose is just that instinct for, you just know it's, it's instinct. I guess it's a bit like being a stand-up comedian, right? Like you kind of know it's funny or you know they'll dance, you know, that's what you have. Um, and and also, as is often the case with a lot of things, the conviction and the confidence almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy a lot of the time i mean it does count for something and yes you do battle test things with your friends i always think of like the the jerry seinfeld thing you know where he you know the comedians sit around a table and like test their bits out it's a little bit like that yeah. and
1: yeah, yeah and every
0: once in a while the, there are tracks but sometimes there are tracks which no one likes like you yourself still believe in it and it takes time to convince people that it's good sometimes it falls flat as well you know sometimes you play one and they don't like it like you like it i mean i
1: suppose i suppose as well is it Given a like say when you get it when it all goes perfect especially in a gig and Mm -hmm. everyone just clicks at the right moment i can i can only assume it's the same as telling a joke on stage at the exact you know i mean like it doesn't matter what what it is necessarily what's being done but to get that reaction from the audience is is probably the same and quite
0: addictive to a point yeah, it's a really, it's a really really good feeling, definitely. I took it for granted because I played, you know, whatever nine thousand parties or something like that. Like, I, I <laughs> it was my whole life, you know. The power, the feeling of like, yeah. you know, a thousand people, whatever, all kind of going up a gear physically, dancing at the same moment in the same way to to, you know, to a particular track or, or it is it's pretty amazing. I mean, it really it's it's pretty hard to beat. It's a good one. Okay. Not not all those not all those highs are created equal you know that that's a really 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 good one and and Mm. and the Mm. strange thing about djing is i don't think i don't think it's not really the same as being a performer you know like i think it's a little bit more communal than that when you have those moments as a dj it's more you're kind of more part of it in a way you're just kind of guiding them a little bit i don't think it's the same it's not like bowie standing up there and you know obviously it's different but anyway so in that sense you really yeah you're sharing something it's really exciting Going back to your childhood,
1: which mm. originally spent in, in Goa over in India, yeah. can you tell us about about that and how that influenced, obviously, your well, your, your your career path?
0: My parents started taking me. We traveled all over the world when I was really really young. I mean, that's well, that's like the seventies now, early eighties. It's a long time ago. So we traveled everywhere. My parents were, I mean, I guess they would be loosely categorized as hippies, but they really were not hippies. So. Mm. They're just like traveler types, you know, off the beaten path. And uh, so, yeah, they took me everywhere. And so I've been all over Asia and Afghanistan, like all kinds of crazy places when I was really, really young. And then I don't know exactly how it happened, but they settled on India. We would go to India every year. So up until I was about 12 years old, I spent about five months, four or five months of the year in Goa. Goa is a part of India. For those that don't know, Goa is like a little bit like, India's miami i don't know how you would describe it but it's like it was a place for travelers was very liberal kind of a became a bit of a hippie drug party place uh mm. going way back so yeah i spent a lot of time there and i mean how it informed my career i don't indirectly well basically it ties in with the theme of your show right so that's how you grow up becomes yeah exactly you're yeah. you're i don't like I don't use the word normal really, but like it becomes your standard, uh, your your, your yeah. standard experience. And if it is extreme by other people's metrics, well, you don't know. You're a kid, you know. So how it informed my life and my career. Well, you know, seeing grownups f- dancing on acid on a beach was pretty standard issue for me. So I guess that I guess that tied <laughs> <Yeah>. in nicely, <laughs> tied in nicely with the rest of my life. So yeah, so things like hedonism drugs um radical individualism adults behaving like idiots these things were all just standard fare for me um so i guess it created probably a different type of rebellion but it also created a comfort with that environment that served me well i guess and i don't know but just you know just a very very cool childhood it was really exciting and very pretty wild quite stressful but definitely made you know makes you who you are and but my parents were always cool so I with me cool so um yeah
1: I mean yeah, what, yeah. what what was it what made your parents like what, what would you think they were looking for
0: in that in that lifestyle um well my dad I think just wanted to have fun I mean my dad was just wanted to party I think you know mm. anyway so like I think my mom was just she was into it she was going along for the ride I don't know if that was like her first choice, but she was a very creative person and, and really into Indian culture and, you know, all those things. And I don't know exactly, but if I had to make it simple, I guess, you know, they came from that generation where their parents were probably pretty straight and you want to mm. take off and explore the world. And, you know, it was a much more, ra- I think it was a more radical thing back then than it is now. Now nobody thinks anything of, you know, the idea of traveling now somewhere to party, whether it's a visa or, or whatever is, is, beyond standard issue but I think you know in 1974 or whatever it was probably a little bit stranger
1: sure so then did you go back to Montreal or were you yes back and forth and then you settled back there were you around 10 or 11
0: yeah well don't forget we have a really brutal winter in Canada so that exactly Well, that's what I was gonna say (laughs) like what was
1: it's not just it's not just the culture but obviously the winters and everything like that that must have been a big culture shock when you headed back there for the foreseeable future
0: yes yeah it it was as a kid, it was difficult because I missed a lot of school. And I mean, just to touch on, you know, the theme of your show, this thing of what's normal to you and stuff. And I, it, I was thinking a little bit in preparation. And, you know, one thing, when you're a child, one of the most basic things before you have anything, right? As a kid, you have no credentials. You have no money. You have no career. You have your name, right? It's kind of the first thing you have is your name. And my name is Tiga. So right from the get-go, that was bizarre right like the first thing in any class they read your names out why the hell what what kind of a name is that you're you're a weirdo right away you know so that kind of tied it that was that and the india thing and i had super long hair and i was always the smallest kid in my class and and so like what you're saying you know i would return from these trips and i looked like Mowgli from the jungle book you know and i was all tan (laughs) and i would come back and it was like an alien coming back to school and I was always really behind in school. And yet this total weird culture clash, I had no chance. I wasn't even close to normal. And the name is kind of a good metaphor because the thing is, you, you know, you're different, but at the same time, your parents named you. So like they support you in a way, you know, so it's very, very different. Cause I think a lot of kids struggle with, they feel different, But maybe they're they're getting pressure from their parents to to be the same or they're getting pressure to to fit in somehow i i was just weird without the pressure or any complex so i was just like okay i'm weird but this is amazing Mm -hmm. like when's everyone else going to get on board with what i got going on you know so but yeah it was a big shock coming back to montreal was always really really intense it was it was pretty crazy
1: and do you think, though, that with that, that mindset, as you say, like, uh, like waiting for other people to catch on to, I think that that gave you more of a, a liberating outlook in terms of like, like when yeah, you, obviously, when you start when you start to set up like nights, uh, putting on nights in Montreal, like it's the, right, really being the first innovator of like the night scene there. Mm. Do you think that's because you didn't have those blinkers on of this is yeah. what it should be?
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, I was I was I was ridiculously confident as a kid. Without much grounds to be, I mean, I don't know, it wasn't like I was a, a virtuoso or a star soccer player or anything like that. I was just, I, I was very, very confident. I think that came from what you're saying. I, I I guess the thing, the common thread, it's always been like this. I never wanted to be like someone else. I, I didn't. I didn't want to really like fit in. Yeah, it served me really, really well. Especially I have kids now and I can see, you know, confidence is probably the most important thing when you're young, you know, just to... To feel good in your own skin and and yeah to have the confidence where where a lot of people don't you know at a time when a lot of other people don't is is a big skill so what what would be what what did you do differently when you were um
1: say when you were throwing on these these nights which ended up changing mm-hmm. I, I don't think i'm out of lines you changed the pretty much the music scene in montreal for nightlife like what yes. was what what were you doing differently that other people weren't
0: I didn't invent anything different it was more just about transporting ideas i had seen in other countries so in goa there were parties Out, outdoors trance music people dancing face painting cows the whole deal right um, and i so i had always seen that as a kid and i didn't quite understand why none of that existed back home Then when I was, I don't know, when I was about 17, I started, I discovered techno and rave music. I just saw some stuff on TV and I I heard some CDs and I started to see what was happening in England. Mm. By the 91 or so, I started to notice what was happening in the magazines and I heard the word rave and all that. So then really all I did was I just started to to build that at home. So yeah, it blew, blew people's minds because... Here, they had no exposure to that. Uh, the graphics on the flyers, the clothing, the music, it was all new and, and it was massive. Yeah, I mean, talking about the
1: flyers, how did you get the word out to people? Because obviously a thing in the underground over here in the UK at the time was, it was it was pretty much by secret word of mouth. They yeah. were pretty much illegal, illegal raves like in, I don't know, a farm That's, or a, a car park yeah. or something like that. Is that how you
0: went around it or did you do it a bit yeah. more commercialized? No, no, it was exactly like that. So I had a pager, you know. Do you remember? Do you know what a yeah. pager is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I had a pager, no cell phones yet at the beginning. So I had a pager, and I would leave a message. The pager had a voice box, a voicemail box, and I'd leave a message with the directions to the party last minute. And there'd be a corner where people would meet. Sometimes we'd hire buses to take people, so it was like a meeting point, and the buses would take people out. And yeah, you constant problems with the police. Sometimes they'd shut it down. When I think back on it now, it's pretty insane. I was like 18 years old, I had meetings with police, uh, meetings with lawyers, meeting with fire department, hiring bouncers, dealing with Hell's Angels, backpacks full of money, because I'd collect all the money on the door, and then I'd dance with the backpack on the, I don't know, it was, it was, it was, it was but, no, no, but but listen, it was, it was, you know, people throw around the word underground a lot now, right? Still, mm, there's, yeah. oh, this is underground, this is a commercial everything now almost is commercial because for perspective i mean then you're talking about like no credit cards to -hmm. begin with like nothing there's nothing that touched the the real world we were just literally kids printing flyers at printing shops handing flyers out you know and then you'd find a warehouse you'd find a venue and gradually it got a little bit more legitimate as it got bigger in size but yeah in its origin it was really really uh very very underground there were no rules it was all being made
1: yeah yeah and with the, and with the with the lack of rules as well like how did you how did you deal with not just the police but also obviously as you say like the hell's angels elements and stuff like that that must have been quite nerving it at was, the time
0: it was i mean thinking back on it now i don't know what i, I just <laughs> yeah. didn't I, I don't know I, I don't i just didn't i didn't stop to think you know what's interesting is well, you guys started young, right? I read a little <laughs> bit of your yeah yeah. I, I think I've talked about this before, but you know, youth. If you can hit this sweet spot of kind of ignorance and confidence when you're a kid, if you can get in there, you can you can you. There's really a lot of power there because you. You're kind of like cocky. You just don't know all the stuff that can go wrong. That's the truth. Like you don't, you just don't know. You're kind of like, and and you think, you think you're all powerful. You have a lot of energy. I had so much energy. I mean, I just could go for days. I just didn't. And yeah, confidence, energy, a little bit of stupidity, some ignorance, mix it all together. And, and if you get some reinforcement when you're young, that's the key. If things work out early, you're like... Yeah, I'm, I, I can do this, but I just—I wasn't thinking about it. I never thought about what could go wrong, or if I did, I didn't care. And I wasn't particularly sensitive to to, to people's feelings or to—I was not woke in the least. To to, you know, for example, I would never think, "Oh, what if someone could get injured at a party?" Like I just—I wasn't thinking that way, you know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always remember going. To, I always remember going to a. A rave once and it was um it was in a car park in a multi-story mm. car park on like the 6th level and it got shut down and you will never know how exhausting it is running de- how long those spiral exits to a yeah, car yeah. park are until you have got to run out of one and um, but as you say like on. that type of thing yeah but that's like that's a youthful thing i think i was like I don't know, 18 or something at the time and just being like no in hindsight i think back and think what the hell was i thinking let alone guys feel like
0: yourself putting it on and dealing with everything else afterwards in hindsight you think oh that's so exhausting <laughs> yeah but like when you're a kid you don't you're not thinking it's you don't you don't think like that you're different priorities yeah well i mean it changed radically through the years once for me i don't know i don't know exactly but once it became a real job so like once i started traveling the world playing festivals and doing it every weekend and you know my yeah, you're, you don't know exactly when it changes, but then you're, you are you know, then I remember oftentimes I'd be at giant festivals DJing and I, and I would think what a complete nightmare if I was a punter, you know, like what, how do you, how do you get out? How do you, these, they don't have hotel rooms. They don't, like, I would see the tents, you know, those like tent villages at Glastonbury or whatever. I'd be like, oh, like, how do you do it? But that's part of being a kid. And I think, and actually... I think it's it's vital to do it when you're really young. It, it's something that you. It's so much fun and it's so important to just jump into that chaos and and just enjoy it. It's it's really good. It's something that's much easier to do when you're young than when you're older. You know?
1: Definitely, I used to go to the music festivals a lot when I was younger, and then for my stag do, my bachelor party, we all went back to my old favorite festival. And it was amazing <laughs> how many how many backs hurt the first morning and like the neck ache and a lot of moaning going on by certain exactly. members of my family. Yeah, there's something about trying to go to sleep and then some geezer at about 4 a.m. taking a pee about six feet from your head the other side of the tent and you're like, oh, come on.
0: No, it's... Like, well, it's <laughs> a, yeah, well, you reach a point where it's just, it's, it's actually a nightmare. It's like a catalogue of <laughs> nightmares. But, uh, yeah, I was always really impressed. I mean, I think England... I think England kind of wrote the book on festivals in a way. You know, really, mm-hmm. I mm. you've always... The english have always really done it well i've always been really impressed and and it's just it's, it's a it's a really nice tradition i think it's just great that idea of kind of losing yourself for the weekend and just checking all the bands and things getting like properly messy in a nice way is yeah i think it's 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 a great tradition
1: A couple of weeks ago, um, I went to see Pete Tong and the Heritage Orchestra doing all the old Ibiza anthems, but with it. And it was was such a good, like, I, I, it was one of those, I think I'm at that age now where everybody's like, oh, like they haven't heard the song in a couple of years. And then, but it was just such a great atmosphere. And it was, it really did reignite my love for that era of of dance music as well. Um, And also seeing an orchestra play, it just brought a whole new, way of how it's put together like it really blew my mind but and then anyway I was going to go into it that I got there because a a good friend of mine she was the opening act she was DJing um, to start the night Um, but I know there aren't that many huge female DJs and I know that quite a lot of our listeners are women Mm. is there anything that uh, how can I put this not to do but like what to get into it for them sure yeah
0: there's a lot of top, top women DJs now. And and mm-hmm. I think most of my favorite DJs just happen to be <laughs> women right now. So yeah, I mean, it was traditionally a real boys club. I mean, mm-hmm. all all through the night. You know, I think it wasn't just on every level. It was just pretty messed up in, in that department. I think it was quite um i think that started you know the record stores which were kind of the headquarters were really laddish you know it was a very kind of like that's just kind of how it was not everywhere um it's a big irony with dance music is you know dance music started as a very gay very for for people that didn't quite find a home in other places and that was incredible when i got into it it was kind of like that gradually it got quite white male kind of vibe you know as that I guess it gets co-opted a little bit. Anyway, no, the, the past years have been really, really good. I mean, there's a lot of uh, way more diversity and way more women. And it's just been incredibly positive for the scene in general, you know. I think specific, some girls, um, I don't like to say it like that, but some some women DJs that are that are worth checking out. Uh, Nina Kravitz, she's Russian. She's fantastic. She's one of the best. In techno specifically, Nina Kravitz, Helena Hoff, The Blessed Madonna, uh high. there's a lot of they're kinda I don't want to say they're running the show, but creatively they're definitely, definitely a lot of the best right now. And I don't know if the second part of your question was about like incur you know, how to get into it for yeah. for someone at home whatever. Yeah, I guess that's like with any creative career it's it's you have to like work really, really hard. You have to I think celebrate whatever it is that might make you different because it's mm-hmm. so there's such competitive fields, you know. So how you know, don't try to, to, to copy or be like someone else, I guess that's romantic view of it, but I still think that's true. Unfortunately, there's a lot of luck involved in in any creative field. You know, how you, do you get, who hears you at the right time? You know, who do you do a track that, like for me, my whole career was, was going one way. And then I made this one song that sunglasses at night in Mm -hmm. 2001. And the track just blew up and, and every door was open to me, but it's a lot of good fortune, you know. So,
1: in terms of learning your craft, in terms of like as a, mm. especially now where it's more like obviously it's more technical and, and everything like that. In terms of like lane tracks and and stuff, as opposed to say more technical, more computer based, shall we say, mm. is there is there a certain how would you learn that now? In terms of would you go to university to do it or anything like that, or is that quite a conformist way of doing things, like going to school to um, learn to be to learn a craft?
0: Yeah, no, I don't. It's hard for me to say things have changed so much. I mean, it, it was not a career when I started. At no point was it something you you could never imagine.
1: So it's not like something you could say to a teacher at school. No.
0: I'm going to be an uh, international DJ. No. For, you wouldn't even put the word international with DJ. I mean, at the very beginning, it really was about just getting closer to the music, right? So it, I was a kid who loved music. I just... We all know kids like that at school, you know, oh God, you got to listen to this or you want to share, you want to brag, you know, I discovered this, but that's who I was, right? So I was yep. just constantly, and I just wanted anything that could get me closer to more access to the music, find better records. I probably would have been happy just working at a record store if somebody would have given me a job, but nobody would, you know, <laughs> I, I, I tried to get a job at my, my college radio station and they said no but but that was a very very different era and now it is completely a respectable craft with schools and and managers and agents and so i think learning is always good i i kind of wish i had learned more i don't think it's conformist i think if you have an opportunity to, let's say go to engineering school if you can learn mm. there are dangers with learning you know it can it can mess you up it can create you can you know, you don't want to, you still have to stay wild and stay kind of creative and stay a bit weird, but definitely learning things is good. I I, I wish I would have learned something. <laughs> I, wish, I mean, I, I wish I, I had no, no structure. I dropped out of university and uh, I'm an extreme case of just winging it all the way, you know, complete hustle all the way, but that can work. It definitely can work, but it's kind of funny because I got it. I went to quite a I, I went to quite a posh uh, high school. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, I was going to say you went to, a, you went to a genuine boarding school, didn't you? I went
0: to a genuine I went to one of those schools with a shirt and tie right. like English style, all boys. Um, right. This is after this is like teenage years. And uh, I got invited back to the school by the headmaster to give a speech, to give like a a speech to the graduating class. I was basically the only kid that ever came out of the school that wasn't like a politician or a lawyer. Uh, So I I was like their, I'm like their poster child for creativity, right? Like, so I got invited back to the school and I gave a speech. And it's funny because the speech I gave was very much like what I'm telling you now about stay weird, be an individual. But like, after the fact, I was like, what are you talking about? Like you're ruining <laughs> like you're ruining these kids' lives because yeah. it's like it's not I mean it's a one in a million thing. You know, you can't these kids So I I know a lot of them that that gave up on their million dollar educations and just now they're like interns at 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 a record label or something. Like, yeah. Right,
1: yeah. Yeah, but I suppose as well it's nice it must be nice for them to hear that if they've been in a very certainly for North American standard structured environment in terms of the uniform uh, yeah. whereas that's that's pretty standard even in state schools over here um but yeah like being told you dress this way you do this do that and mm-hmm. then as you say and then if you're the poster guy there for creativity i, I think back and-
0: yeah well the kids loved it because obviously you know very few kids very few kids <laughs> the kids don't dream of being you know accountants or or you know they they no, want, right. they you know so i <laughs> yeah. think they did i think they probably saw a glimmer of hope like whoa may, maybe i could still have fun when i'm a grown-up if if uh
1: Headmaster's there, pulling his hair out on the corner. Like what? <laughs> you mentioned it earlier about obviously doing a, being a podcaster as well, mm. uh, and your your podcast is called First Last Party on Earth. Um, mm. And we've been listening to quite a lot of it recently, James and I, where you basically are sitting down with some of the best musicians in in the world, especially in your in your scope of field as well. And you're built all around the question: What would you play at the last party that you DJ on Earth? Um, so, question
0: is. Uh, what have you learned while making this podcast okay thank god i thought you were gonna ask me what i would play which i can't answer that's a really that's a really good follow-up question actually yeah no 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 i can't no your question your question's way better um I've, i've actually i've actually learned quite a lot i mean i've learned to listen to people which sounds obvious but i spent most of my life just blah, blah, either talking too much or thinking I was the center of attention or being interviewed. And it was, yeah, it's just a good, I mean, it sounds so obvious. I sound like a psycho that I even have to say it, but but just listening to other people and yeah, you get so much wisdom from that. And so that, that's been the number one thing. And it was almost deliberate. I wanted to do it to uh, learn to be a better listener. So uh, I found a lot of comfort from it. Also, like I get a lot of comfort from, from hearing other people's struggles, you know, like, you're not the only one who's crazy, you're not the only one who deals with all these things, the confusion, the difficulty in making music, trying to come up with ideas, uh, feeling your ideas are boring, like all these things, the standard things that artists deal with. It's quite comforting to, to hear it from other people, but and also too, in the pandemic, especially uh, just conversation is great because. Things get a little dry, and you miss people, and you miss sitting down with friends. So, it was like I had to like. It's like I bought my friends. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make a list of 15 <laughs> people to become friends with. And so,
1: was it was there any reason why that was the the topic? The topic what came into your um, yeah you had like to base to base it around.
0: Well, I, I copied a lot of it. I was really in love with uh, Desert Island Discs, which yeah. uh, which I just. I, so all the years of touring, I got heavy into podcasts because touring is really, really hard. Planes and every day, no sleep. And I spent hundreds of hours just kind of spaced out with podcasts running, you know, just like it, quite comforting. You kind of doze off and you um, and I got really into Desert Island Discs for a while, specifically uh, Kirsty Young era. Yeah, yep, She's just yep. so she made a big impression on me. Just she's so, so erudite and so empathetic and so clever and just so Our good. Her voice it, is so peaceful, isn't it? It, is. it? Just 10 out of 10, just incredible. And also just and the, just the artistry of guiding the conversations, you know, when to accelerate, when to slow down, when to just handled with such grace and intelligence and just whoa. So that actually kind of gave me the idea. And then specifically, I wanted to stick to music. I think talking about music is a beautiful thing to talk about because I found that a lot of the time you want to talk about politics or climate disasters or, you know, there's all of these heavy things going on. But if you go at them direct, it ends up kind of on rails. Nobody even means to. But, but when you start with music, I find things often stay very positive and you still get to some of those other issues. It just happens in kind of a nice way. I, I basically... I know for myself, music's probably been the best thing in my life, it makes me a better person. When I, you know, if you share your favorite songs with someone, they're probably gonna get the best part of you, the, the best side of you, you know, it's just like, you're like kids playing together, really. Mm. And and so it's a nice, it brings out a really, really nice side in everybody, and yeah, it's a nice thing. Plus we're all mostly musicians, so we have something to talk. <laughs> it's, it's quite quite a easy to talk again. about. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Did you, did you find that talking to people who you've spoken to beforehand, mm. but in doing, the, in doing a podcast and interview, that you speak about stuff that you'd never really talk about in general chit chat in terms oh, of like yeah. where, you, where, you, where, you, where you get, because we found that when we were interviewing different people who were in, like I say, the Potter films with us, we'd never asked them when we were filming, so what was the audition process like? You'd, you'd never get to anything no. like that. Or what was it like when you went home from that situation? So it's just. So how's that yeah. been? Has yeah, yeah, it...
0: probably very similar to your situation where. So there's a bit of a conspiratorial feeling, right? Because you know you share these things, right? So they're speaking to you. If an actor or someone from the series talks to you, they're going to give you different stuff because they assume a baseline understanding. So mm. you're you get much more of a confidant vibe you know it's not the same as when they're talking to a journalist so it's the same for me it's nice because so partly the idea is the types of conversations we would have after a show or when you bump into someone at an airport it, it's part partly that and also too i like to exploit the fact that they can trust me trust me that i understand what they're saying that i've been through a lot of the same things then you know it's nice and there's not much ego you know I, I like to set it up so you know no one's trying to like you're trying to disarm. this. no one. No one's trying to prove themselves. You know, nobody. Hmm. Nobody has to come on the show and say, "Yo, these are all my hit records" or anything like that. So it's it's a good starting oh, yeah. point. Oh, cool.
1: Cool. Well, anyway, we're going to uh, go back to. I know
0: you mentioned that you don't like the the word, but what does normal mean to you? Well, okay. What the word means to me, I guess, is just it's whatever's statistically common, but. For me, you know, the one of the I think one of the original meanings of the word common or, or a synonym, it's it's vulgar. You know, like when you think of yeah, there's the, the, some, yeah. there's something about it that's not not really to aspire to. It's more something that is, yeah, I don't know. I never never saw that as something I wanted. You know, um, the people that I always loved and looked up to, like Prince or David yeah. Bowie or Leonard Cohen or Bob Dylan or you know, the, there was there was nothing typical about it you know but but at the same time as you get older i was thinking about this normal not normal thing you realize like let's say an, a great song one of the things that makes a great song is it touches on something that is relatable and those things in a sense are very common you know there's experiences that that are quite typical but also very profound so in that sense the that part of normal i'm fine with mm. one thing you hear a lot i'm sure you guys get it a lot what i really i really feel bad for kids who and it's so common and i think it's probably the saddest thing in the world the the idea of shame you know if shame is introduced as a concept so and it's it's beyond common and it's beyond sad it's so damaging which is like you know you feel different that's one thing but then you feel a negative feeling about it. You feel, oh, I'm supposed to be something else, or I'm supposed to change, or there's something wrong. And I was just lucky. I don't know exactly what was at work, but I, I never felt any of that. So I was able to to just be myself, I guess. You know, which is which is good. Mm. Like you say, it's it's, it's
1: mm. imagine what it could what
0: everyone could do if they weren't worrying about what people may view. Of oh my God! Well, it's yeah, probably it's- that that's like the original sin, right? I mean, that's what. Because I'm sure every kid, uh, you know, if there was a way of tracing it to that first time, you're, you're made to feel ashamed of something that before that you never thought anything. Whether it's being naked or how you look or someone says you're fat or mm-hmm. someone points out something you didn't even think about. Oh, I didn't. I mean, I remember. I remember one time my best friend said, uh, like, I think he said, whoa, your arms are long or something like that. I was like, "What, mm. really? I've like, well, big, <laughs> or you big? or you big ears? You're like, and then depending, and I mean, anyway, that's nothing. Obviously, the the classic is, you know, if your dad says something, you know, or your mother says something, or that those things you spend your whole life adapting to and and navigating. And uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so yeah, so that's why the the whole normal thing obviously is such a minefield. It's good you guys are doing this show because I'm sure it's something that that's what you guys explore and it's so important.
1: It's, yeah, we've 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 been quite lucky in that we've normally asked the guys listening as well to you know we ask these questions to them and they what a normal person who um, is listening in I don't know Sri Lanka compared mm-hmm. to someone listening in Nebraska in America like it's completely their normals of how they they go about their life are very different but to them it's very it's and really good fun. Exploring yeah. it, but going on to a, another question. Then. So, what would be the most normal thing about you? Would you say?
0: Um, yeah, I thought about this. Um, I think the most normal, like for <laughs> whatever that word be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I really love sweets. Like yep. I'm like a real just like classic. I never outgrew like just obviously chocolate bars and and I really love football, which is quite in a, in a quite just regular outside the pub talking about just garbage transfer rumors or fantasy football or <laughs> yeah. so I think that's quite that's quite uh, non-controversial um, no but I also I I mean the thing is my life became very well probably in ways that you understand like you guys as actors you know when you have a life that is extreme in some ways like you know, not a nine to five or, so my life was pretty extreme. I mean, if I, I would, you know, if I, I drop my kid off, let's say at school on a Thursday and I'm going to Dubai that night and I'm up all night and then the next day I'm in Madrid and then I'm back home on Sunday, you know, these, so people don't quite get their heads around. It. It's definitely uh, abnormal in that way. It's rare. So I, I think what did become normal for me is because there's that extreme going on in my time off i became quite into like sleeping for example like things that people would think are really really boring for me are really are really exotic like i still love sleeping i sleep so much you wouldn't believe it like and in covid it's crazy i'm like i sleep like 10 hours a night like routine just like i'm like a like a and just because it became exotic, you know, it became something I, I was denied for so long, and mm. people would see it as boring. Yeah, so I don't know. Those are some normal things, but
1: I don't know. what you say that, I, think I was going to say like the follow-up question I was going to say is, what is the least normal thing about you? But I suppose pre pre pandemic, the least normal thing conventional would be your normal in terms of as you say, dropping your little one off at school, then going to yeah, yeah two two three different time zones, then coming home.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think if I had to sum up, I mean, the least normal thing probably is just the amount of time I've spent between the hours of 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. at a party somewhere in the world. It's just simple. It's like 4.30 in the morning. I mean, just in Spain alone, I've probably been somewhere with thousands of people going crazy at 4.30 in the morning, you know, 300 times. and and it's thousands of times so I think that's probably if when it's all over one day that will be what one thing that was definitely uh, you know just just uncommon and so and I think also to to get a little bit more personal it's strange because I noticed this when I when not when I stopped DJ for a while I realized that I have a comfort level in that environment that's pretty crazy like I actually like when I walk into that room and it's so loud and so intense and sweat. And even if I'm totally like straight like this, like I walk in, I just, you know, I just left the hotel and I had a shower and I'm all proper, but I feel quite at home with that. And and that's something I think is is also pretty rare. I also love that music. I'm really, really, I realized as I got older, like, because i listen to music in the car and my i have i have two sons and they're like what the hell are you listening to they're like they're like what is this crap they're like why is it 16 minutes long and why is nothing happening you know and and i realized that i i have a genuine love for just very repetitive electronic kind of strange music also those things are not so normal anyway you know it's super normal a lot of normal a lot of really crazy normal stuff happens when when you become a parent, I think in a nice way because you you right. what you want is is just it's such a universal. I just want your kids to be happy. You know, you just I just and that's such a universal feeling. I imagine to use your example of of uh, Nebraska or Sri Lanka, that's probably one of the most universal things in the world. Is just you simply just want your kids to to. To be happy and to 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 be free of suffering and just to feel good and so that you start to feel pretty pretty normal in that respect you know it's it's quite a it's something you can definitely talk about with anybody.
1: So I've got these um, final questions which I call the three a.m. questions, but I'm not sure if that's the right term for you because you're normally just starting work at three a.m. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's they're called 3am because normally the the answer that you should have said comes into your head at 3am ah, okay um, okay okay.
0: so it's what what is your favorite book yeah it's a really hard one i i i i love reading obviously i don't know i'm going to go with a book that i've well, oh, I really like 1984 by George Orwell. That is a great one, which I've. I'm going with the books I've reread. I think, like you guys yep. binge listening, yeah. if you reread a book, it's a good sign. I think my favorite book is probably uh, Waiting for the Barbarians by uh, South African writer uh, Coetzee, J.M. Coetzee, okay. I think. Okay. A fantastic book. A good one if anyone is scared by bigger books, because it's quite, quite a short one. And uh, it, it's an awesome, awesome read. Uh, what is your favorite food? My favorite food is, so in India, in Goa, there is a little restaurant called Joe Bananas, okay? <laughs> nobody will know it, but it's a, it was like the center of my universe when I was a kid. And I still went back there up even like a few years ago. It was like a little hippie place where everyone would get their mail. You would actually get your mail there because nobody had, there was no mailboxes. Anyway, there you can get like a fish tally. It's like a fish plate with some little... Uh, pickles and badgies and rice and all that. And that is definitely my favorite meal in the world. And I would probably eat it every day. I'm fine to eat the f- same food all the time. I like to, but that's my favorite. Yep. What is your favorite film? My favorite film? Oh, it's Blade Runner. I like, I'm, I'm a big, big Blade Runner fan.
1: Whether you can answer this question, I'm not sure. But what is your favorite song?
0: Yeah, this one I I, I struggle with always. It's a Kiss by Prince. Yeah, yeah. The reason i go with that one i mean there's a million there's so many and it's i'm a big leonard cohen fan i'm a big uh anyway the reason i go with uh kiss by prince is because it's fun and it's just such an incredible dance record it's everything it's like a perfect pop record a perfect dance record Yeah, yeah in the end like music that makes you just feel good and want to dance and want to party and be with your friends and stuff is that currency i think for me is top right now so kiss by prince Prince might be the ultimate example of letting your inner freak, your inner weirdo, just, just go to the maximum. And just how, and it, ultimately the irony of how people really respond to it. People people love it if, if it's done in that genuine way and if you're talented. But don't get me started.
1: And finally, what is your favorite quote?
0: I, I, there's one I just happened upon recently. It's uh, the writer Anaïs Nin. Uh, and she wrote uh, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom I noticed personally you you get set in your ways as a creative person and you have your own version of being conservative you know where you you find a safety zone you know we all do you find a little and you have to just always be careful of uh, the risk of finding comfort you know the risk of, of being finding that little zone as opposed to uh, attempting to blossom and to change and to whatever. So I I really like that one. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. That was absolutely fantastic. No, it's been been great speaking to you, Tiga and Thank you once again. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. He was such a nice bloke, both on camera as he's recorded and off like very personable, so it was really great to speak to him and I loved hearing about the first parties that he's organised before anyone was doing that thing here yeah, we got how he carried all the money from the ticket sales around in his rucksack on his back I mean that's insane brilliant so you can actually find Tiga's podcast first last party on earth which is on spotify apple or wherever you get your podcasts look like this one really so we really 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 recommend checking it out it's a great listen but i thought i could come in at the very end with my very own did you knows uh this time about music oliver yes so did you know music helps plants grow faster really yep There's actually a study conducted in South Korea where they studied four different classical pieces, including things from Beethoven, and they found that the music actually helps the pace of the plant. Wow. Uh, Another one. Did you know listening to music is proven to help you exercise better? Is that where you get like the the power song, as it were, because you get into a different trance, as it were? Pretty much. I think it it just keeps you motivated and everything. Uh, Did you know as well, I'm sure people know this, listening to music... Causes you to drink more in less time. Yes, yes, I can believe that. I can believe that, actually. Uh, heavy metal and classical music fans have similar personality traits. Yeah, I, to jump in on that, right, I remember hearing somewhere once, I remember sitting on an aeroplane and chatting um, to a lady who was a paediatrician, and we were talking about, there was you know when you can choose like music on the plane, and I saw that she was looking mm. at it. And I don't know how we got talking about it, but she said, yes, if you actually play either classical music or heavy metal music, obviously not really loud, but to young children, like babies and toddlers, they react with it really well, and it actually calms them down a bit. Well, apparently, so this was um, done at a university in Scotland. They interviewed over 36,000... music fans and they figured and they discovered that apart from probably the age difference with the two both the lovers of both metal and classical have pretty much identical traits Uh, they tend to be very creative very at ease with themselves and introverted yeah that's probably right actually that probably is right is that because it's always seen as a bit of an outsider thing i guess so uh and they actually people actually use uh, music to help with brain injuries because it helps recall personal memories. Yeah. So you know when you hear a song and it takes you back to that time. Yeah. yeah, yeah I've been listening to a podcast actually recently right? and it basically plays the it's, there's no um, na- narrative to it it just shows like news clips and music from a set year and so it starts from like 2000 and then it goes on and I've just been listening to different ones of those and they're just like, I was like oh wow I remember that. I remember where I was that exact moment when that song came out. When I was a boy. And finally, because I'm a space geek, did you know that Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield released an entire album of songs he recorded in space whilst on the ISS? Now, he spent over 144 days up there and he recorded 11 original songs. And the album is very, very aptly named Space Sessions Songs from a Tin Can. Always remember being lucky enough to meet him. Anyway, guys before we go down memory lane too much longer. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And just remember to keep sending your story times, your questions, your did you knows to the normal email address, which is normalnotnormalpodcast at gmail.com. That is normalnotnormalpodcast at gmail.com. And guys, whatever you are doing this week, stay safe and we will see you next week. Very much, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for Tigra again. It was lovely to speak to you. Have an amazing time and we'll speak soon. Normal Not Normal is a stable production.